Pray for us. Sure, why not? <laughs> okay. <laughs> is, that, is that what you want to do? <laughs> Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for my friends in this room. Um, I pray for Drew as he's getting ready to talk about you and how I can glorify you. Um, I pray for the people that are in Florida and all around that area. Um, and I pray that even though this is a terrible time and they're losing so much, that they still see you. Um, I want to thank you again. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, we started uh, last week with uh, this new series in First John. Um, and so I'll give you a, just a couple of uh, prefaces to today's sermon. This is probably one of my uh, favorite chapters in all of Scripture, and my sermon notes are four pages long uh, when I printed them out. So settle in uh, and, uh, and 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 buckle up. Um, there's there, there's some there's good stuff here. I probably should have divided it into two two weeks, but nonetheless. Uh, we talked last week about uh, uh, about this this new series and John, and we talked a little bit about John's goal in writing this epistle uh, to, to to fellow Christians, to kind of his spiritual children. And we talked about how uh, John's goal in writing this epistle is to move Christians away from doubt and towards confidence. Now, there's all kinds of reasons that we might have that we might doubt our faith. Uh, some of us doubt because. Uh, we look around and we see other people's experience with Jesus and with the gospel, and it's different than our experience, and that causes us to doubt. Some of us doubt because, well, we just keep on sinning, and so we we kind of stand back and look at ourselves and say, well, you know, shouldn't I be making some progress in this thing called Christianity? Would I still be sinning? I'd still be struggling with the same sins that I always have. And John wants very clearly to move us from doubt into confidence. And once you understand that about this epistle, then we will see as we walk through that the epistle is kind of made up of a series of diagnostics, if you will, a series of tests that are designed to reveal the difference between genuine faith versus hypocrisy. You see, what we'll find in John is we oftentimes doubt for the wrong reasons. For instance, one of the paradoxical things about the gospel and about growth in Christianity is the more we grow, the actual, actually the, the more aware we become of our sinfulness. But that's kind of confusing sometimes. We, uh, we've been in this thing called Christianity for some years, and we look and we realize, well, we feel like we're more sinful now than the day we, we first entered. And, and so John wants, to, um, John wants to, to tackle these, and he wants, to give us, uh, he wants to give us assurance. If we struggle with doubt, then these diagnostics are going to help us figure out if, we're, if we truly know Jesus, if we're in a true relationship with God, or if we're just self-deceived. So today, we come to the first diagnostic, and, that, and it's simply this. Do you walk in the light? Or are you a religious pretender who walks in darkness? So here you are, genuine Christians walk in the light, 
while religious pretenders walk in darkness. So we're going we're gonna to tackle this uh, as, as would be typical. Um, what's it mean to walk in the light? Why is it so darn hard to walk in the light, and then how do we do it? All right, so what does it mean? What does John mean when he says, walk in the light? What he does not mean, what walking in the light does not mean, is doing what is morally right and walking in obedience with God's law. Walking in the light will, in time, make you more holy. But walking in the light does not primarily mean to act holy. Verse 7 does not say that the person who walks in light was cleansed from their sin in the past and is now obeying God's law. John presumes that the person walking in light still needs Jesus to keep cleansing them from their sin as they walk in the light. Verse 6 says, When we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. John does not say that we walk in darkness when we fail to obey the law. John says we walk in darkness when we don't practice the truth, and the truth is stated in verse 8. The truth is we are still sinners. John is clear. Walking in darkness does not mean that we, can, can, that we continue to sin. To walk in darkness does not mean that we violate the law of God. To walk in darkness is to claim that we do not have sin in our lives. Look at how redundant verse 10 is. If I look back over my past uh, my past, and I say I have not sinned, I make God a liar, and his word is not in me. Verse 9. Verse 9 is the only other description of what it means uh, to what, uh, what it means to walk in the light. And only here does he tell us, does John tell us what walking in light means. He gives us three verses on what it means to walk in darkness, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. But in verse 9 only is an elaboration of walking in the light. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Walking in the light, John defines as confessing our sins. And when we do, God will forgive us and God will purify us. Walking in the light does not mean obedience. Walking in the light means confessing disobedience. To walk in the light is not moral purity. To walk in the light is to admit our present tense impurity. To walk in the light does not mean being like Jesus. Walking in the light does mean owning how dissimilar our lives are to Jesus. Walking in the light does not mean that we are loving and sacrificial. Walking in the light does mean that we agree with God 
about how unloving and unsacrificial we are. So how disorienting is it that the very first indicator of what it means to have a real relationship with Jesus, a vibrant faith, is not growth in holiness, mercy, and compassion, but it's the confession of our massive need for growth, mercy, and compassion in our lives. Verse 10, uh, John says that the person who walks in the light has God's logos in them. It has God's word in them. To confess, to confess our sins is to say the same word back to God that he has already said to us. That we are sinners who have, who are, and who will continue to sin. Consider the irony. For some of us, our doubts about our relationship with Jesus, our doubts about the authenticity of our faith, are primarily based on the fact that we continue to sin, that we continue to struggle with our brokenness. We feel unloved and we feel disconnected from God because of our failures. So how freeing is it to learn that the very first diagnostic of, of, of authentic Christianity is not overcoming sin, but the willingness to keep agreeing with God that we are sinners? The enemy would like to condemn us with this truth, but John says if we just speak the truth back to God, that's the first indicator of true Christian faith. All right, that's what it means to walk in the light. Why is walking in the light so hard? This all is cute in theory. It's hard in practice. John clearly says to walk in the light is to walk this, re this uh, repentant lifestyle, but at the same time, three times in in, this, in, in these verses, he assumes that you and I will struggle with walking in the light. First, verse 6, John references our tendency to say that we're in a grace-based relationship with God, even though we are not confessing or owning our need for that grace in the moment. Verse 8, John references our tendency to live like there is no current sin in our lives or hearts, like all that's behind us. Verse 10, John references our tendency to look on the past and to say someone else is responsible for my sin back there. It was a hard circumstance. It was a temptation beyond what I could bear. It was my dad's fault. It was anybody else's fault but mine. And so it's winsome to hear that to walk in the light means to confess our sin. But John is clear. We do not run towards the light. Our instinct is to run away from the light. And there are two realities in us that, that want to convince us to run away from the light. 
And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend just a second kind of unpacking these a little bit. Um, those, those two realities I'm going to suggest to you are this experience-based fear that we have and a deep-seated pride. So first off, uh, an experience-based fear. Because we have never experienced a pure grace as the foundation of any other relationship in our lives, we are afraid to fully believe, to fully lean on, and to truly enter into this radical message of grace. In school, if you don't know the answer, you fail the test. In college, if, if someone gives you their work and you claim it as your own, you fail and you are shamed as a cheat and a thief. In the gospel, we don't achieve. Jesus takes the test for us. He gives us the answers. And we get the credit. Based on previous relationships, uh, I have this experience-based fear. Um, it's this experience-based fear that tells me uh, to be hesitant uh, of this offer called the gospel. Most of us um, had parents who tried to be as sacrificial, sacrificially loving as they could. But I, even though, even so, I have never met a parent that loves their child as much when they fail as when they succeed. For, so for me to hear that regardless of my actions, regardless of my behaviors, that God loves me, that God delights in me, because I am clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, it's hard to believe that. It's hard to embrace that. It's, it's hard to run towards that. In the past... When I failed, I was not accepted to the degree that I was when I succeeded. And since I have never really experienced a human relationship like the one that Jesus offers, I'm afraid. Listen, when we're dating, when I used to date years ago, when you all date, when you all date, do you do you present your best possible self, your best potential self, or do you let your guard down on the first date and present your failures, your weaknesses, your self-centeredness, and your pride? If I want someone to like me, to keep on staying with me, um, if, if I want someone um, to, to, to be with me in the future, I have to present the best possible self in, my, in the best possible light. I mean, think about this. What job applicant goes into an interview and presents a resume full of their failures and slothfulness? What homeless person walks up to the steps of the White House and says, get the Marine Corps band to pipe up some uh, hell to the chief because I'm coming in and I failed over and over again, so I, wanna, I want all the pop and circumstance. What, what Tinder profile, and I hope nobody's on Tinder, please, let's have a conversation if you're on Tinder, but what Tinder profile is full of acne break outbreaks and dirty, crusty feet? Right? It doesn't happen. 
So the, the gospel is intriguing, but based on every other experience in my life, I am very afraid to trust this message. I'm afraid to strip myself of all the pretense. I'm afraid to be exposed. I'm afraid to run headlong into the gracious embrace of God's arms. So, one, we struggle with this experience-based fear, but we also have this deep-seated pride. The most dominant word in the text is sin. In eight verses, the word sin occurs nine times. To sin in the Bible is to miss the mark. It's It's to try to hit a target and to miss. To try to achieve and to fail. The gospel is clear. I cannot accomplish what I have to accomplish in order to earn God's approval, in order to earn God's blessing, or in order to earn God's love. And my pride hates it. Being a moral failure isn't the only thing that the Bible teaches about the human condition. But, but listen, my view of humanity is woefully insufficient uh, and catastrophically erroneous uh, if I don't begin uh, with the premise that I and all of you are at root moral failures. Our culture refuses... Um, to uh, begin to believe this foundational truth that as humans we have this propensity towards failure. In fact, we are incapable of succeeding at the very most at the most important test. At the core of us, there is this pride that hates being told that we can't do it. A lot of us. I would venture to say, uh, have become increasingly comfortable, increasingly okay with confessing our sins to God. However, we are much less comfortable at confessing our sins easily to one another. The Bible tells me what I instinctively know that every sin is first a sin against God and God's holy law, and secondly, against another human. If I were to count the number of times that I confess to God in a week, and then count the number of times I confess my sins to other people during the week, it would be 100 100 to 1, maybe 100 to 0. When I, when I lust, it's not just against God's holiness that I've sinned. It's against others. I'm failing the person I'm objectifying. I'm failing the person I'm dehumanizing. And I'm failing my spouse who I've vowed marital purity to. When I lie about a project at work or a project at school... I sin against God and God's holy standards, but the failure of that sin reaches to other people. It reaches to my employer, my fellow employees or, 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 or students. It reaches to my customers. 
when I work too much, I'm sinning against God because I'm saying that work is more important to me than it ought to be. I'm trying to find uh, from my work what I can only have in a relationship with God. And God shows me that in my prayer closet, and I confess it to him, but I don't run from that place to the community and say, I robbed you of my time, of my care, and of my service. Every sin violates God's law, and every sin also violates other humans. Now, John does not say that living or walking in the light means confessing in my prayer closet. John says to walk in the light is, to, is confessing my sins to you and you to me. Look at verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This command is... No, I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 2. Verse 7, chapter 1. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of, uh, of Jesus the Son purifies us from all sin. Go back to verse 6. Um, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not have truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just uh, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Um, if we claim we have not sinned, uh, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Fellowship is this deep faith, face-to-face authenticity. Walking in the light is this uh, on is being honest with one another about our sin. Now, now James, James says this specifically. He says it uh, forcefully and outrightly in the in the confession in the text that we use for confession almost every week. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed, right? How eager am I to confess my sins to God? But how hesitant am I to confess those same sins to the people that I sinned against? You know, it's one thing to to confess to God that we lust. It's another to tell my spouse or the one that I objectified. It's one thing to tell God that we're lazy and that we're selfish with our time. It's another to approach our friends, our neighbors, and our coworkers and tell them that we valued our temporal comfort, we valued our time over their eternal joy and their comfort. Our pride is not just threatened when we tell God in our prayer closet. Our pride freaks out at the thought of telling other humans the depth of our sinfulness. When I tell you that I've sinned, 
when I fail, when I tell you that I've failed you, I lose power, I lose influence, I lose control. And the problem is, those are the currencies that make my pride feel rich. And it's just really hard for my pride to feel impoverished. All right, so we've talked about what it means to walk in the light. We've talked about why it's so hard to actually walk in the light. Now, how do we do it anyway? How do we walk in the light? How do we get from here to there? Um, and we're going to look at a motivation, and then we're going to look at a couple of practical steps. So uh, first off, uh, motivation. In order to walk in the light, because it is so hard, we are going to have to motivate our hearts um, to, uh, to have a deeper, uh, a stronger desire in us uh, so that we would want to walk in the light. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. First off, um, for forgiveness from God is the first motivation that John tells us. You should know that I cannot promise that every human will forgive you when you confess your sins to them in the future. It, it may not go well with you when you confess that you've been lying to your boss or to your clients. Your teacher may not forgive you when you admit to cheating. But the Bible promises that God does forgive you and God must forgive you. The Bible teaches what many of us have experienced, that guilt and shame over a particular sin, uh, sins that weigh down, us, weigh down on us, that push down on us, it, it feels good to have that guilt and that shame taken to Jesus and have him remove it. The Bible teaches what many of us have experienced, that God the judge has already declared us righteousness, has already declared that there is no condemnation for anyone in Christ Jesus. The Bible encourages me to go to God the Father and to confess and to reconnect my sinful heart to his merciful heart. So, why walk in the light? Because... As men and women made in God's image, we were made to be free, alive, and filled with joy, not weighed down by guilt, shame, and regret. And the only way to have that guilt, shame, and regret lifted is to take it to Jesus. So the first motiv motivation um, is forgiveness from God, but the second one is purification. If, if I were to ask, what do we get when we confess our sins? I would venture to guess that the answer that would come to most of our tongues would be forgiveness. And that's true. But forgiveness is only mentioned one time in this passage. Purification, cleansing, Growth and transformation is mentioned three times, verse 7, verse 9, and verse 1 of chapter 2. 
John wants us to not sin, or at least not sin as much. But how do we do it? The way we grow and overcome our sinful habits, the way we stop sinning so much in the future is to con- confess our sins in the present. Here's the, here's the paradoxical uh, point. The more sins, the more sins we confess and the more often we confess them, the more God purifies us and the more freed we become from the sins that, master o- ma- that, that hold mastery over us. Let me say that again. The more sins we confess and the more often we confess them, the more God purifies us and the more freed we become from sin's mastery over us. John is writing about confession so that it is possible for us not to sin. The Bible is clear. God changes us. We cannot change ourselves. And John is saying that the experience we have of God changing us is the experience of confession. It's ironic that God makes us successful in obeying him as we confess and as we agree with his assessment of us that we are not obeying him. All right, so there's your motivation. A couple of practical steps. If, if, we can, if, if confession of sin is the instrument to bring joy and contentment and growth and relief, then how do we walk in the light more? Forgiveness and purification must at some point trump our fear and pride. So we talked about these two realities, uh, this deep-seated pride uh, and this experience-based fear. And so at some point in time, if we want to walk in the light more, we must choose transformation over pride. We must choose being different over the impulse of saving face. We must choose uh, to say, hiding my lust isn't working. We must choose to believe being free is of greater worth than the humiliation of not just of, of, of just confessing the extent of my lust to God, but also confessing the extent of how I objectify and violate the trust uh, of the people around me. At some point in time, we must believe that, the, that our gossip and our, our slander isn't getting any, any better. It isn't satisfying me the way I had hoped. And at some point in time, if we really want to be free, if we really uh, want to receive transformation, uh, we must choose to confess not just to God, but to those who we've mocked behind their back. some point in time, we have, to, we have to choose being good over simply looking good. While knowing that we only get better when we confess just how bad we are. Now, most people will say that that's crazy, right? Our culture 
says that's crazy. Um, I'll just try harder. Let me let me keep my sin, my most embarrassing failures to myself, and I'll keep working on them. I'll keep confessing them to God, and then once God transforms me enough, once I get a better handle on those sins, then I'll then I'll be a little bit more honest and authentic about who I am. Right? This is this is um, a major stumbling block for the religious community of the South, right? Because to be a Christian in the South is is not to be honest and real and and just out there about the depths of our sin. To be a Christian in the South is actually part of the way that I'm respectable, right? It's part of the way uh, that I show that I've got my life together. But the Bible's clear to be a Christian. John tells us to be a Christian is not to, to, to show how much we've got our life together, but to show how broken and needy we actually are. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with our current looking good over actually being good mentality of Christianity. God humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. Grace is the active agent in transformation. So at some point in time, we will have to look at saving face versus actually getting better. And we will have to choose getting better. This is what Paul means when he writes to Timothy and he tells him to fight the good fight of the faith. Alright, so in order to do this, we must address our deep experience-based fear. Based on our experiences, we need to step into the light. Uh, or when we step into the light, we feel nothing but exposed uh, for who we really are. It's exposed for our powerlessness um, and, and our shame. And we fear that when we step into that place that God won't love us, that he won't accept us or bless us. And that if we open up and we become vulnerable, we fear that God will at least, at minimum, he'll roll his eyes. But at worst, he will condemn us and he will cast us into utter darkness. Our fear keeps us in the darkness that we're afraid of. Our fear says that if we want to run into the light and agree with God about what he already knows about us, then uh, we will be giving in and he will, again, at least roll his eyes, but most likely he will condemn us, he will spit us out of his mouth, and he will cast us back into the darkness. So we say, our fear concludes, it's safer to just stay here. To just hide. How do you know that when we step into the light, God will not only forgive us, but accept us, delight in us, and bless us? Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, or you might as well say, um, but if anyone, or when anyone does sin, 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, uh, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He's not only, he not only forgives us, he has to forgive us. To walk into darkness, walk in the darkness, um, is, means um, to have to achieve, uh, to have to perform, or I'm out. But to walk in the light means I'm in, and I can never be removed. I can never be expelled. It's illegal for God to send me away. Jesus takes our sins on the cross and he gives us his record and his place in the inner circle. Verse 1 of chapter 2, John tells us that Jesus is our advocate. He's our, he's our attorney in the heavenly courts. Um, also in verse 1, he says he's the righteous one. Verse 2, uh, he says he, Jesus is our propitiation, our atoning sacrifice that absorbed the wrath of God in our place. And when we run back to the light, Jesus is there advocating for us, arguing with the Father, telling the Father on our behalf that it would be unjust for, for, a, for a, a fair God to require punishment for the same sin multiple times. Jesus says, I, I know they've sinned. Uh, I know they will sin again, but I shed my blood for that sin. And if God is faithful and just, as verse 9 of chapter 1 says, if he is fair, then punishing sin twice is unfair. Because we have the righteousness of Jesus, it is wrong for God to not delight in us. So to our fear... We have, to, we have to say um, that this is not about our character. It's about God's character. It's not about how, how deeply I believe or disbelieve in the moment, but about a God who is worthy of my trust because he is righteous, because he is pure, he is holy, and he is fair. Jesus entered into the darkness for my sin, therefore, I will always be accepted in the eternal light of his kingdom. Let me pray. Holy Father, um, gracious God, we uh, ask that you would um, move us from darkness to light, that you would um, help us uh, by your Spirit. Um, to see and understand uh, and, uh, and, and believe both the extent uh, of our neediness and our brokenness, that you would give us the courage um, and, and the desire uh, to stop hiding and stop covering it up, uh, but to, um, to expose it, uh, to confess it, uh, to lay it down, not just at your feet, but at the feet of those who we sin against, that we might receive healing, that it might um, be exposed so that Jesus' work of grace may work um, in our hearts and in our relationship and in our community. Um, we pray uh, these things, asking that you would 
um, bring us more fully into um, the light of your eternal grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, before we sing our uh, before we sing our song, let's uh, let's do our confession. Um,